the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Our spring gleaning series continues. Today, we will be focusing on the Big Ten West. Before we jump into it, a little bit of a programming note. We are going to be rolling out a very aggressive and very ambitious full top 25 countdown preview. We're calling it the hurry up countdown. Each episode is just one team. It will be featuring the author of a cbssports.com story that you can also find as a little bit of complimentary advice. We'll be dragging those authors out. We'll be putting them in the hot seat. We'll be grilling them, cross-examining, making sure that those opinions that are in writing, uh, that they can be backed up on podcasts. So a key, stay on the lookout for that. Subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast as always. And if you want to get in any questions to the mail, Mailbag, mailbag, always open. Uh, give us a five-star review, a uh, question inside of it, and uh, and we'll add you to the bag. We'll add you to the doc. Uh, a couple questions that we'll hit sort of in the process of today's show. Uh, it'll be interesting to get to that. Before we do, gentlemen, we've got right now, uh, I think the only person in the county with power might be Barton Simmons. That's the kind of dedication that he has put to to bringing uh, you this audio content today. Barton, how are you doing? Uh, I mean, things just keep deteriorating for me. Like when when we started our off season podcast, I was pleasantly sitting in my office at home. Then I went to like uh, at a a bedroom in a beach house. Then I went to a closet in my in-laws, and now I'm sitting literally in a vacant house on the outskirts of town, sitting on like Indian style in an empty bedroom on a carpet. Like, I mean, I don't know where else I can go from here, man. Uh, The pandemic had already hit, and now Nashville has its biggest power outage of all time, apparently, after a a storm last night. Um, Things... (laughs) Things just keep on finding a way to turn up now, in the Simmons household. Do you do you know the owner of said house, or are you <laughs> squatting in somebody's home? <laughs> it's it's I'm being resourceful here. The my in laws have yet to sell. They're 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 efforting selling their other house that they have moved. They moved to the house we're currently living in. They're they're selling another house. And they still have internet out here, so that's the that's my only lifeline at this point. We're no, driving, but- we're we're literally driving through town, looking like at the just the magnificence of nature, just like the fury of nature, like enormous hundred year old trees, uprooted, laying in the middle of roads, and 
and and just all aghast at the the power of wind and scout is just sitting in the back seats just just musing over and over again i can't believe we're not going to have tv i can't <laughs> believe we're not going to have any more tv <laughs> it's gone I forever can't believe TV didn't work. <laughs> It, it's just, it's a it's it's insight into where we are at and then we went back to the other house where we've been living and there's like an infestation of carpenter ants just eating all the food and crackers that are laying on the floor because all our kids do all day is snack and watch tv <laughs> so, so there so there you go there's my vent session for for this pod it's it's an interesting peek into like the defining one of those defining moments of a person's life when they realize that something they take for granted isn't always going to be there so it's like how we feel about sports suddenly being gone is how scouts like, wait, TV can leave? What, <laughs> what the hell's going on? Everything you told me has been a lie. And uh, and you had just really reassigned her and set her up to be the TV critic. Like this right. was this was all or movie critic. I mean, this was all moving in the right direction. Yeah, we had we had we had succumbed to to the temptation of just like setting her in front of the TV for eighteen hours a day. And now we can, we can't even do that. So here I am sitting on a carpeted floor in an empty room while scouts outside watching, I think TV on the internet or something. <laughs> We're finding a way. We're finding a way. Tom, how are you? I'm good. Uh, let's see. I've got TV. I've got internet. <laughs> I've got power. So yeah, I, I think feeling, I'm pretty good. Feeling, feeling really advantaged and privileged right now to have all those Dude. things. I feel like the luckiest man on earth. Oh, uh, all right. Well, uh, let's let's jump right into the Big Ten West, and we will begin with the Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin went ten and four last season, uh, seven and two in conference play. This is a group that is coming into the year. I think you look at them on paper. And with what they have coming back, yes, they lose Jonathan Taylor, 6,000 rushing yards over the last three seasons, two Doak Walker awards, no big deal. But let Tom Fernelli tell it. He was just, you know, bad vision, needs contacts. Uh, Quintez Sivas also gone. But we get Jack Cohn back, nine starters back on defense. Big questions include replacing Jonathan Taylor. And as you look at Wisconsin, um, you know, you're always going to feel comfortable considering them a contender for the Big Ten West, but where does Wisconsin need to be different to change the results of getting to the Big Ten championship game, but then ultimately losing to Ohio State? How is the 2020 Wisconsin team, are there reasons to think that they might be able to take that next step and also knock off the Buckeyes? No. I mean, it's... The next step, it's not like there's some kind of scheme they can change to that's suddenly going to make them capable of beating Ohio State. It's it's a pretty simple equation. Is They're going to have to recruit a lot better than they've ever done. I mean, Wisconsin is one of those programs who is just knows exactly what they plan to do, knows what they're looking for, gets them, develops those guys over a few years, and then they're consistently a strong team because they, they have an identity and they stick to that identity. And then once in a while you find a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who was, you know, not just the regular kind of Wisconsin running back. He was like, you know, athletically, he was a very highly rated player. He was a track star and that kind of adds a new dimension to it. But overall, Wisconsin is Wisconsin. And I don't think anything's really going to change. That's going to suddenly make them a team that you think, okay, this is the year they can beat Ohio state. I think that they're capable of doing it because you know, it's like we've talked about many times. You get to the conference championship game, and then you just 
things have to go your way. Like we saw last year in the title game, you know, Ohio State had dominated everybody all season long, and Wisconsin actually led them at halftime of the Big Ten Championship before they got, you know, blown out in the second half. So, yeah, they're capable of winning the West, and if things go right and Ohio State plays poorly or they get a few lucky breaks, they can beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship and win the conference. But as far as ever looking at them as being a team that you look going into the season – the way Ohio, unless Ohio State takes a large step backward, I don't think there's really anything Wisconsin can do to get to that level. Yeah, you know, as, as you were starting to talk about, like they have to recruit better. You know, I was thinking, like, what, like realistically, can we ever envision Wisconsin recruiting at the level of an Ohio State or these schools that play for national championships? Not really. I, I can't really see that being a realistic scenario. So, and yeah, I mean, they can get the occasional. Um, Jonathan Taylor, but what is that really going to accomplish for you? Ultimately, if if Ohio State is ever going to crest the Ohio, I'm sorry, did I say if Wisconsin is ever going to crest the Ohio State tier, then it's it yeah, it has to be do it by recruiting, but that has to be by like a transcendent quarterback. Yeah, like, like when they had Russell Wilson for a year. For Russell Wilson, get you know get over, t- go pick the brain of those guys over at North Dakota State. You know, get a, get you a Carson Wentz or a Trey Lance, who's there, the quarterback, the the rising redshirt sophomore over there now is going. Um, and and ironically, I think I think Jack Cohn is actually really like high quality from a Wisconsin quarterback perspective. Like he's a, I think he looked like a significant better round, and they don't have Jonathan Taylor this year. They don't have as many weapons on the perimeter as we saw, and. This team defensively, for even, probably even because of that, as much as anything, is going to be one of those teams that protects their defense as much as possible, leans on a really good defense as much as possible, and gets back to winning games in a very ugly way, but I still think is equipped to win them, just not on that Ohio State tier. Yeah, that that defense is the one reason you look at this team and say, okay, it's it's still going to be competing in the West, and the bottom is not going to fall out. But th- there's a very good chance that the offense isn't going to live up to what it had been the last couple of years. Jack Cohn is being graded on a for a Wisconsin quarterback standard. How does he stand up? How does he stand up against like the average Big Ten quarterback? about average honestly maybe slightly better than average with a higher ceiling but i don't think that he's a quarterback you're ever at least i'm not going to consider to be like a a top tier top 25 nationally guy that kind you know what i mean to yeah. me he's he's but he's a guy that he's his he's got a better arm than a lot of wisconsin quarterbacks have typically had he's got a lot of things to him that you like but he's still not a guy to me that is somebody i'm just going to sit there and say okay Jack Cohen's going to go win me a game if I need him to. So one of the themes that I think we're going to have throughout the Big Ten West is that there are there are, there are a lot of teams that are getting better. There's there's really, you know, and we'll get to Northwestern by the end of this, but you know, I would say looking outside of Northwestern, you've got a lot of teams that are moving uh, in a positive direction as you go into the offseason. Obviously, teams at the back have more movement. A team like Purdue, for example, a lot more movement in terms of where they want to go up. Illinois looking to build on a, a bowl season. So 52 wins in five years for Paul Christ at Wisconsin. It, 
that's got to regress at some point. And if it doesn't, is Paul – and we, we got our coach rankings that are going to be coming out next week at CBSSports.com. Is Paul Christ uh, overrated, underrated, or rightly rated? Depends on your ranking. What's our <laughs> who is where is he where is he rated? I would where are we where is the where is the general consensus of Paul Chris rating? I think? think I I think if we're going based off of what he's done, like you said, Chip, he's he's fifty two and sixteen in five years at Wisconsin. Four of those five years, he's won at least ten games. He's won the Big Ten West three times in five years. Now, there's arguments to be made that, you know, he kind of stepped into a situation that came somewhat ready-made based on what, you know, Barry Alvarez had built and then Bielema kind of maintained. And now he's following that same philosophy and that same, you know, blueprint. But still, I mean, there's there's one thing to be able to say, okay, I, I know the I know the I know the recipe, but you still gotta cook the meal. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you look at those results, I don't see how you can not say he's a top twenty coach in college football. Now as far as the overall picture, like we were talking about earlier, he's he's not the guy that's going to go out on the recruiting trail and bring in a bunch of four and five stars and get this team into being a national title contender. But considering what's available to him and what are reasonable expectations, it's hard to knock him any. If if you don't have him in your top twenty, I feel like you're you know it's going to be really hard to convince me there are twenty coaches better. What yeah. do you think, Barton? Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I I, I don't. We're the results push it. The, I think that he will end up getting ranked behind coaches with better winning percentages and win totals at their current stop. It's in in a way, it's so hard to judge Wisconsin coaches because we haven't seen one fail in so long, and so you almost it's 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 a program that is it's really hard, it's going to be really hard to ever win a national championship at Wisconsin, but it's a pretty high floor of a program. Like it's, I think it's hard to go in and screw it up too much. I don't mean that to, to discount what Paul Chris has done. I just, I think Paul Chris is like, I think Paul Chris is a really good fit there. Um, but if you, if you keep on sort of going about the Wisconsin way, you got a pretty good chance and you still aren't playing. Like you're not sitting there in the same division as Michigan, Penn state, Ohio state. I mean, and yet, granted, the rest of the division is getting tougher, but it's still not Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State yet. So, uh, man, he's a tough one to judge. I'm not even going to sit here and say I'd have him top 20. I think I probably would, but I, I want to. We got to map. We got to uh, put our ballots together this week for the CBS coach rankings, and I don't know what my ballot is going to look like just yet. So, uh, I'll get back to you on that. Replacing Jonathan Taylor, the two names that I had in my uh, show prep, uh, Nikia Watson and Garrett Groshek. I remember Groshek as a backup change of pace, kind of the battering ram. And I also remember it was, I mean, not a shocker for an offensive line that just put out a couple of NFL draft picks. But I remember when Groshek came in and had results that were very similar to Jonathan Taylor. I was like, huh, (laughs) well, but uh, Jonathan Taylor, obviously, with some breakaway speed and athleticism that Groshek doesn't have. What's our expectation there? Does Groshek take over as a number one back? Does Watson end up stepping into that role uh, with Groshek still doing it? Are there other names we should be keeping an eye on? I mean, I think Groshek's got the perfect name for a Wisconsin running back. I don't know how far that's going to carry him. I just, I mean, Groshek had a great game against Michigan, 
but I, I think overall it's pretty unfair to compare him to Taylor because T- Taylor averaged 6.3 yards per carry last year. Groshek averaged 4.6. That's that's a pretty significant difference. So it's it's an open question. Nakia Watson, I think, is somebody that that coaching staff is high on. The coaching staff does like Groshek, but I don't know if they view him as a workhorse, give the ball 25, 30 times a game kind of player like they've always had. So I think that we're we could be entering one of those seasons where – Wisconsin could have a running back by committee kind of thing going on like they did during the years of James White and those guys where, you know, they had they had the the first and second down back. They had their pass catching back. And I think that's what made Jonathan Taylor and guys like Melvin Gordon so, you know, unique is for Wisconsin because they didn't just have the rushing production, but they were able to they were more well-rounded and were able to do more things. And I think Wisconsin's offense has kind of adapted that where they want their running backs to do more than just run between the tackles. So. I think we're probably going to see more of a committee approach entering the year. Now that said, maybe somebody, you know, takes the reins and emerges as the guy. I, I you know, Tom has been the Jonathan Taylor hater for uh, not a hater. He's carried the flag <laughs> of hate for Jonathan Taylor on this podcast for a long, long time. And I think that this year you will find that, uh, that that uh, Tom is a little bit vindicated in his in his distaste for Jonathan Taylor because I I just I kind of think that my hunch is that offense just kind of c- continues to look about the same just just because I think it'll be so scripted and manufactured in the way they find their yards and points and you know might might lose a little. Little tinge of explosiveness, sure. I mean, that's that goes without saying. But I think that the stories that I think you'll see, like you said, sort of some faceless running backs getting some yards, and then the 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 names of the program will be Isaiah Loudermilk and Garrett Rand and Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn and all these defenders that are 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 just gonna. I think it's gonna be Wisconsin's best defense in a while. The Minnesota Golden Gophers, 11-2 and two last season, 7-2 and two in conference play. Uh, we remember the undefeated start to the year, knocking off Penn State in early November. Took a, you know, weren't able to make it to the, uh, to the Big Ten championship game because of a head-to-head loss to Wisconsin. But they've, uh, they've got a pretty interesting offense coming back. Tanner Morgan at quarterback, Rashad Bateman at wide receiver, and then Muhammad Ibrahim is at running back one of the good. You know, we've been circling some trios during the spring gleaning series. That's a trio that I'll put up uh, against you know, as one of the four or five best in the Big Ten, if not maybe one of the three best in the Big Ten. Now, it's not just uh, losing Tyler Johnson to the NFL draft. We also lost Kirk Sharaka to Penn State, uh, hired Mike Sanford Jr. as his replacement as offensive coordinator. Uh, Only four starters back on defense, though. Defensive side of the ball is going to need some players to step up. There's a favorable schedule. They don't play Ohio State or Penn State. Uh, and they also get the Michigan Wolverines at home. So uh, are we going to say in 2020 that it's the year that shows that P.J. Fleck uh, was not on some fluky stuff a year ago? Like, is this going to be the year that legitimizes uh, Minnesota as a top 25, top 30 program in the country under P.J. Fleck? Do we see him continue to build on last year's success? I think so. Uh, so I pulled up their schedule here. 
And I just want you to t- just just from a schedule standpoint, this team might not be as good as last year's team. Uh, I don't think it's going to have quite as much experience going into the year as last year's team had. Um, but there, I think I think because of the way, like here's the way I framed the way PJ Fleck has recruited, which I think is is, is the it, the proper way to recruit at Minnesota. It's a, it's a great approach. They have certainly not been out there winning the heavyweight bouts for the top prospects in the country. But I think there's been a level of discipline in terms of who Minnesota has taken on the recruiting trail that has allowed them to land players with high ceilings. And so when you look at the guys that are backfilling from the Tyler Johnsons and the Carter Coughlins and the Antoine Winfields of the world – I think you see guys that have traits that suggest if they've been developed the right way, they could actually like they could be better than say the recruiting ranking suggests. Uh, so I think from a pure just talent standpoint on the roster, this program is better equipped than probably a lot of people give it credit for for sort of backfilling from what was some pretty talented players. But here's the other reason that I'm actually pretty bullish on Minnesota. Ooh. So, so they get uh, they get Michigan out of the East, but they miss Ohio State and Penn State. All right. They get FAU, Tennessee Tech, Iowa, BYU to start the year. All right. Iowa obviously is a tough one, but Iowa's at home. So their road games, Michigan's Michigan's another one that's at home. Their road games are at Maryland, at Wisconsin, at Illinois, at Michigan State, at Nebraska. All right. The Wisconsin game, I believe, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, that's going to be immediately after Wisconsin just played in Lambeau against Notre Dame. So uh, I think so. Let me double check. So you're looking at a season where in order for let's just let's just call it win every game like they'll be i bet that they you know they should be favored at home i would imagine against iowa and purdue and northwestern i would imagine there's a chance they'd be favored on the road against nebraska favored on the road against michigan state favored on the road against illinois they what? would probably they would probably <laughs> be underdogs at home against Michigan, I guess. Maybe. And 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 underdogs on the road at Wisconsin. They would, they would probably certainly be underdogs on the road at Wisconsin. But if you think about it that way, like, which of those games can they not win, A, and when you're getting Wisconsin in kind of a nice spot and you're getting Michigan at home, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I could I could start talking myself into Minnesota here pretty darn quick. Yeah, it's it's not just like you said. Wisconsin plays Notre Dame in the week before they play Minnesota, but the week before Wisconsin plays Notre Dame, it's playing Michigan. So Wisconsin's coming into that game off a run of Michigan and Notre Dame. So they they could be ripe for the plucking at that point. That's I I don't want to you know shout out to a special nine year old listening right now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> There's a part fraudulent of- for Nelly. Yeah. I have bad news for that nine-year-old because I'm high on Minnesota too. I just this is a team to me that if you look at the West, I had to write it's coming out on Tuesday. Chip, we're doing our conference title odds. Yep. 
Minnesota, the conference title odds from William Hill Sportsbook have the Gophers at 30 to 1, which is behind Michigan at 6.5 to 1. Wisconsin's 10 to 1. Nebraska is 20 to 1. Uh-huh. And, and Iowa's 25 to 1. And you're telling me that those three teams have a better chance of winning the Big Ten this year than Minnesota does? I, I love this Gophers team. Now, it's going to depend on that defense because, as you mentioned at the very top, Chip, they are losing a lot of players on a defense that was pretty good last year and played a key role in them going 11-2. and two. But offensively, this team's going to be fine. I, I know that Tyler Johnson's gone, but Tanner Morgan, I think, outside of Justin Fields, could very easily be the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten. He might have been the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten last year. So I think he's going to have another big season. Rashad Bateman's back. They lose a couple guys at running back that were very productive. But I'm not that concerned because Muhammad Ibrahim is probably the guy who's going to become the number one back. But if you look at P.J. Fleck throughout his career as a head coach, whether it was at Western Michigan or Minnesota, he's never been the guy that is relying on one back. It's usually a committee approach, and they usually have a very sound run game wherever he is. So I do think Minnesota is going to be able to run the ball, especially because I really love their offensive line. So offensively, this could be like, you know, we might look at this overall at the end of the year saying Ohio State and Penn State maybe have the two best offenses in the Big Ten. But I think Minnesota is going to have the best offense in the Big Ten West, and it might have the second best offense in the conference as a whole. So... I don't know if they're going to win 11 games again because that defense we, is too much of a wild card, but they could win the West. And if they win the West, even if they don't win 11 games, I think you have to consider that a more successful season than last year when you know they had the best season in who knows how long. I think that the win, I think being in Big Ten West contention all the way into November after last year's breakthrough year validates everything. Not not that mm-hmm. it would be invalidated, but if you're looking at what to set your sights on, I agree with you that it's hard to match 11 wins year after year after year. But if this team goes nine and four, 10 and three by the end of this, then I, I would absolutely say that it was uh, a, another like very successful year that's going to make us change our expectations as long as P.J. Fleck is there. This is a big year for the Mike Sanford brand. Ooh. Because Mike Sanford, I mean, so think about Mike Sanford. So Mike Sanford was uh, Boise State to OC, Notre Dame. To Notre Dame, OC, to um, Western Kentucky head coach, quickly let go there, goes to Utah State as the OC. For the bad and we year. we see a, reg- a regression <laughs> out of Jordan Love. Like He was at one point really one of the rising names in, in coaching, like what, rising young hotshot coaches. Uh, there's a great opportunity for him to uh, kind of – polish up his name a little bit because Tanner Morgan's a good player. Rashad Bateman's an NFL guy. Um, they got some players. You know, if, if if Minnesota has a really good offense, he could look good again. If they don't have a really good offense, then that's that's a bad look. 
The Iowa Hawkeyes went 10-3 and last season, 6-3 and in conference play, put a thumping on USC in the Holiday Bowl at the end of the season. Uh, we're looking at the Hawkeyes going into next, next year in 2020, and we realize that this is a program that has put together the best five-year mark in program history. That's right. Kirk Ferentz has 47 wins over the past five seasons, the best five-year total in program history. But we still look at Iowa not even as the, the ruling family within their own division, much less the conference. So now the Hawkeyes are back. And what are the big questions? Number one, we have, interestingly enough, a very uh, impressive group of wide receivers. But who throws them the ball? Nate Stanley is going to be gone, replacing Nate Stanley. Uh, one of the questions that we have for the Hawkeyes. Offensively, we remember Tristan Wirfs was a name that got a lot of attention in the NFL draft process. First round pick. Well, gentlemen, I, I'm going to put my weight. I'm going to say Alaric Jackson, who turned down the NFL to come back to Iowa for another season. I actually had him rated a little bit higher just in terms of my favorite offensive lineman from that group. Uh, defensively, there is a little bit of a, a sturdiness or a steadiness that we've come to expect from the Hawkeyes. But as we go into the 2020 season, where are your concerns uh, for a team that, again, coming off a 10-win season, 47 wins in the last five years, a lot of teams in the Big Ten West are hungry and trying to make a move up. Is Iowa one of those teams that we should put on alert that might be taken not a major step back, but at least a slight step back uh, in the Big Ten West. I will sit here right now on May 4th, 2020, and guarantee you Iowa's not winning 10 games again in 2020. Guarantee it. Not just because of everything they have to replace, which is a lot, but also because look at their schedule, man. Like in the second week of the season, They've got the huge rivalry game against Iowa State, who, again, that early in the year when you've got a lot of inexperienced players and you're in a rivalry game, that rivalry games are tough as they are, but this is an Iowa State team that's got, you know, a veteran quarterback, a lot of returning guys itself. That's going to be a tough game to win. Then you follow that up with a road trip to Minnesota, which we just talked about. We're all very high on. Yeah, we're giving Minnesota the win right there. Mm Mm-hmm. More than that, in October, they've got back-to-back road games against Ohio State and Penn State. So if you look at their draw from the Big Ten East, they get Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. Now, Michigan State, you know, we talked about in the last show, we're not super high on them heading into the year. But still, that's out of the three teams you can draw from the East, getting Ohio State and Penn State is two of them. Ouch, that's going to hurt. But then they've got, you know, road games against Illinois and Purdue are winnable. But those are also played with Nebraska and Wisconsin sandwiched around them as well as Northwestern. So I just look at this team and I don't think it's going to be bad. It's just... With as much as they have to replace, I have a hard time thinking this is anything but an eight and four team or a seven and five team. All that said, I think there is the slight possibility of them exceeding expectations just because skill position wise, this is a this looks like it could be a very good Iowa team. It's just who's going to be the quarterback getting them the ball, and can you trust that? Fate whispers to Iowa, you cannot withstand the storm. <laughs> Iowa whispers back, I am the storm. How about I how about if those teams need to be scared of Iowa, Brunelli? How about if those Big Ten East teams need to be really upset that they see Iowa on the other end of their schedule? You know, this Iowa team is I you may be right. You may be right they're not going to win 10 games. And because the schedule is brutal, but I, I also do think 
the other side of that is I think they're going to clip somebody. I think they're going to get somebody, and whether it's Ohio State, whether it's Penn State, I don't know who else you named on the schedule. Like there is, there is talent on this Iowa team. I, I know they just lost Tristan Wirfs and AJ Epinesa uh, to high NFL draft picks. They lost Geno Stone. There's I don't know. There's probably another Iowa guy in there somewhere. But this like this this is a, the the the. I don't know how good this quarterback is. That's my big question. Um, if their quarterback play is is decent, and let's be honest, I mean Nate Stanley was basically just decent himself. Sure. Uh, if if the quarterback play is decent, this is like the deepest wide receiver group I was had in a while. Their running back Marcus Goodson is legit. They've got uh, the the their center is one of the best centers in the country. You mentioned Alaric Jackson. They, like they're they're going to be probably better on the defense on the offensive interior than it was. They've I, I think they've got really good young players that are coming up ready to to have some breakouts uh, on on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I don't disagree with your with your premise because of the nature of the schedule, but I do think this is a good Iowa football team. Like I do think this is a team that's capable of getting somebody. They might finish eight and four, but of those eight wins, might be a someone that was coming in feeling pretty good about being ranked in the top five, and then psh, Iowa took care of them. I will we'll say, go ahead, because I'm a little low. I still love this program. All right. They've done a tremendous job. Like since 2010, they've had 42 players drafted. In the last four drafts, they've had 16 players drafted. They are like we talked about with Wisconsin. I mean, Ference has been there since what, like 99? Think about how long that is. But they know what they're looking for. They know how to find it. They know how to develop it. They know how to make it better. They know how to churn out NFL players. And they know what they're doing. But throughout the course of Iowa history under Ference, there are those kind of reset years where they drop back to being, you know, seven and five, eight and four, sometimes even six and six. And even I think there's one or two, five and sevens. I just think that this year there's more of a likelihood of one of those reset years before they get another veteran experienced team in 2021. And suddenly they are a Big Ten West contender again. There you go. Ohio State is the team that seems to win the Big Ten every year. But the Big Ten's brand really lies with programs like Wisconsin and Iowa. Yeah. Like when you think yep. about Big Ten football and when we think about like if I was if you were to personify Big Ten football, it definitely wouldn't be the sports car Ohio State Buckeyes. It well, would the yeah, the brand may rely on Wisconsin and Iowa for better or worse. Right, 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 right. right, right. <laughs> like there may, maybe there's some there's some Big Ten folks that wish the brand wouldn't rely wouldn't wouldn't uh rely on them. But that's what oh, I also is. want to point out. Iowa doesn't just produce NFL players. They produce NFL players that go on to have solid careers. Like, I think if you look at bang for your buck, as far as like the careers that these guys go on to have, Iowa does an amazing job. We're just strong on Iowa, strong on Minnesota, strong Don't on forget, Wisconsin. I will also, I will also got a, a grad transfer from Indiana, Coy Cronk, who's been a three year starter at Indiana. Uh, offensive line so you know like every team in the country basically is looking for an offensive line grab transfer Mm -hmm. and the one team that's that's always has plenty of offensive linemen iowa lands one of the best ones on the board after getting all lovey-dovey with the brand uh with wisconsin minnesota and iowa we'll take a look 
Are those teams looking to join them in the upper tier of the Big Ten West? Illinois, Purdue, Nebraska, Northwestern. Plus, a couple of your questions from the mailbag. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Illinois Fighting Illini. Back in the postseason in 2019, six and seven overall, four and five in conference play. Uh, you take a look at our good friend Bill Connolly from ESPN.com, his returning production rankings, and looky there, Illinois number 12 in returning production. They have become the the grad transfer hotspot for Power 5 teams, and Lovey Smith is building himself out uh, a little bit of program depth with it. So, Tom... What does the 2020 Illinois outlook, uh, is it is it hopeful? Is it bleak? Is it anxiety-ridden? What do we think about the Illini in 2020? Open-minded. Okay. I look, you know, you mentioned that they're 12th nationally in returning production, and that's a good thing. That's a sign of an experienced team, and when you've been as young as Illinois has been over the last few years, there's always going to be a lot of experience coming back. But the context is, if we look at the rest of the Big Ten West and you go to Connolly's, you know, rankings, Minnesota ranks 86th, Iowa ranks 101st, Wisconsin ranks 34th. All the other four teams, three of which we have yet to discuss, are all in the top 20. Yeah. So it's like the teams that they're competing with in reality this year are also very experienced teams coming back. So I don't know how much that's really going to help them, but... The offense is getting, you know, it's Brandon Peters is back. We, Barton's boy Brandon is back for his second year after transferring from Michigan. I would like to see him take a step forward because there were times where he played well for Illinois last year, but he also hangs on to the ball in the pocket too long and he gets a little loose with the ball. So the turnovers are a problem. Uh, the run game last year kind of dropped off, but the defense took a step forward again, forcing a lot of turnovers. And we always talk about, you know, how turnover luck, turnover luck, turnover luck. For some reason, whether he's been in the NFL or in college, the turnover luck always seems to be on Lovey's side. So I expect that even though the math always says, no, nope, it's going to go back, this is still a team that's going to be able to turn the ball over and turn that into points. It's just when we look at Illinois last year, it got to a bowl game, right? Mm-hmm. It had that amazing you know, the biggest win they've had in a long time with that upset over Wisconsin. It had the huge comeback against Michigan State, in which they were down 28-3, to that without that, they're not going bowling. What are the odds of those things happening again? They're, they're not great. You can't rely on a top 10, you know, upset. You can't rely on coming back from 25 down. So those are the kind of things we look at. It's like, I don't know, because you look at the schedule, and Illinois State – 
And right now, UConn, who knows what if UConn will still exist as a program by September. And Bowling Green are their non-conference games, which should be three wins. You get a road game at Rutgers, which is winnable. Obviously, Illinois, most of their conference wins the last few years have come against Rutgers. But then you've got Nebraska on the road, Wisconsin on the road, Indiana on the road, Northwestern on the road. And your home slate is Purdue, Minnesota, Iowa, and Ohio State. So I have a hard time thinking that unless things improve in a lot of areas, this team's going to end up getting back to a bowl game. But again, open-minded. I'm not dreading the season, as I'm sure a lot of Illini fans have in recent years, where you think, here we go for another 3-9 and nine season. But I'm not going to sit here and put expectations on this team of saying, oh yeah, they're getting back to a bowl game. Because I, I don't think that's the most likely outcome. There you go. Barton, what are you thinking? What was that, what was that cash register? I mean, just because that was the... That was the money spot right there. Uh, <laughs> that's the that's the official go go. Uh, I mean, there was there was no official bet made, but I mean, I'm 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 going to consider that the the high word on a Illinois football in the land. Right, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. I mean, what else is there to say? Um, the you know the I, I think where my like uh, my interest lies with this team is. Marquez Beeson was apparently going to be really good as a f- true freshman last year, and then he got injured. And so can Marquez Beeson provide a spark? Is he playing DB, Tom? Yeah. I mean, okay. last year the plan was he, he, want, he wanted to play defensive back when he went yeah. there, but the plan was that they were going to try to use him on offense a little bit just as like a you know specialty kind of thing with their other four-star Isaiah Williams. And I think that will still be the plan. And – I mean, the coaching staff was really, really high on him last year before he got right. hurt. I don't, I don't right. think their opinion has changed. Um, so we got, you know, so, so hey, all right, so injection of Marquez Beeson, injection of former top 100 recruit Luke Ford, who was uh, the highly controversial uh, transfer whose appeal was, was not granted by the NCAA because his sick Gr- uh, grandfather was like mm-hmm. 30 minutes outside the radius or something to yeah. allow that to be granted. Um, and then, I don't know. I mean, like, I, th- I think, yes, it was really encouraging to see the defense start to turn people over. Uh, now, I think in addition to turning people over, maybe they can start to slow people down too. Like, that was because the, the, it wasn't, it was just the defense was that much better at stopping people. It was more that they were just turning them over. Uh, so, if Brandon Peters can't take a step forward, if the defense can slow, you know, because this is the same defensive group that's really was all starting as true freshmen three years ago. Mm-hmm. So these guys are all seniors now. So I don't know. Um, is 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 six and six likely? Probably not. But I could see. I could. I don't know. Like, what's more likely to you, Tom? Three and nine or five and seven? Five and seven, just because I think that the talent level on this team has risen too much to think that they're a three and nine team, but I don't think three and nine is out of the question. Yeah, I kind of agree. I agree. I agree with you. I think I just think I still think this is going to be a team that teams in the Big Ten have to take seriously. And that maybe wasn't the case two years ago. Right. So it's a it's an elevated program from where it was two years ago, three years ago. Is it is it a threat? No, but it's you have to at least like 
Illinois games are going to be worth tuning into. I don't well, think they always have been. Bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Please but, don't tell me I've wasted my life these last 20 years. But if you if you're going to give yourself the, you know, with the cold, sobering realization that you can't count on the big comeback and the top 10 win every single season. No, but I think you can probably count on being able to get, you know, in the same uh, in the same way that you Barton pitched Iowa. You, you can might be able to get one with the way that the talent level has increased. And you just hope that right. that one combines with n- not having bad losses to at least keep you in the conversation motivated for trying to get to a bowl game in November. Yeah, for sure. The Purdue Boilermakers, uh, woof, not a good 2019. A little bit of a step back after all the excitement the 2018 season brought. Uh, they, as Tom mentioned, are number 20 in returning production, but where they are not going to have uh, something that we at least have steady is the quarterback position. Uh, Elijah Sindelar was great. If I remember correctly, he was granted an extra year of eligibility, but he opted not to take it. So that leaves us with Jack Plummer and Aiden O'Connell. The biggest star power that Purdue had Rondale Moore only played in four games last season as he was dealing with a hamstring injury. So if you're a Purdue fan and if you're trying to get this uh, Brom offense up and going, up and moving again, Rondell Moore being healthy, Rondell Moore being effective is going to be a big part of it. And if Purdue's going to win more games, they're going to need to score points because the defense was bad. Bob Diaco uh, is your new defensive coordinator. They were bad against the run. Uh, they were also not great running the ball, but uh, as he takes over that unit and tries to look, make, I mean, pretty much any kind of improvement, it, they're almost in nowhere to go but up category in terms of defensively. So, you know, as this Purdue team, you know, you it's your third year with Rondell Moore. If he's going to be that kind of explosive player, you kind of hope you get it now. He is listed on some of these way too early Heisman odds boards. So clearly there is at least a national from an odds maker's perspective expectation. He's going to be a big factor. I'd love to see him be a big factor. He can be one of the most electric players in college football. But as there's a lot of desire to get back to the, that bowl game, that competitive level that the Boilermakers were at two years ago, uh, where's our confidence that they're going to be able to find it as they go into 2020? I, I don't have a ton of confidence. Me neither. I, I, now, this is, I still think this is like a, I think this team is going to be a blast. And I think that the way it, it's so interesting. They've got some of the best individual players in the, in America. George Karloftis is a beast. Uh, their defensive ends. Um, obviously, Rondell Moore is, is going to return, I think, with a vengeance. David Bell was awesome last year as a true freshman. Uh, Malik Carr, that's the new one. That's the new skill guy coming in that is, is incredibly talented. He's sort of a big receiver that could could grow into a tight end. Um, like they've got legit legit weapons, but this is I, I can't remember what like I feel like I brought this up on the pod at some point recently. I can't remember why we were t- we would have been talking about Purdue, but my concern is just the the two pretty important elements here, which is team defense and offensive line. Like those two spots have still I don't think have been addressed. And I'm not going to go sit here and act like Bob Diaco inspires a ton of confidence in 
altering the fortunes of this defense. I think it's just I think it's going to be the same Purdue, ironically, that we saw three years ago, which is this sort of ups. Man, if they get Rondale Moore and some of these skilled guys in the right, you know, play design, then look out whatever big name is on the other side of the field because catch them on the right night, they're going to be trouble. But I, week in, week out, I'm just not sure I, I still have a ton of trust that they're going to have a, a some bounce-back big-time season. I get that. I, I look at them as a dark horse, but it's it's a very volatile dark horse because Ooh. if you, the, all the concerns you mentioned are very, very real, <laughs> they're very, very serious things that need to be taken into account. But if you just look at how unlucky that team was last year with the injuries at quarterback, with losing Rondell Moore for most of the season, if they have better health, I would expect them to improve just based off that alone. And I think Rondell Moore is a very, very key and important player for them because I felt like at times when he's been healthy as he goes so goes Purdue and with that in mind Chip you mentioned Heisman odds Rondell Moore is currently at 150 to 1 to win the Heisman put down a couple dollars on that because that's a ridiculous price for Rondell Moore because he is that kind of talent he's the kind of guy who could be a top five pick in the NFL draft next year so I think that if everything goes right for this team and that defense improves, I have no doubt that Jeff Brown's offense is going to be able to put up points. And if that defense improves in a Big Ten West, which, you know, we're all high on Minnesota. I've said I think Iowa's taking a step back. Wisconsin, we still expect to be pretty Wisconsin-y. I do think there is room for Purdue to maneuver to climb up towards the top of that division. And if things go right, compete for a division title or at least make a lot of noise. So I consider them a sleeper in that perspective. But at the same time, they also have, you know, they draw from the East, Michigan, Indiana, and Rutgers. And while in most years, getting Indiana and Rutgers from the East would be like, hey, cool, thumbs up. A road game against Indiana as your rival to finish the season, this Indiana, the new Indiana, <laughs> not exactly the most enticing thing. They've also got Minnesota on the road. They've got a pretty, which should be a difficult non-conference road game against Boston College. They open the season on the road against Nebraska. The schedule is not super friendly for this team that, you know, is it's not like it's coming into 2020 ready-made. It's 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 got some improvement to make. So I expect this to be like a fourth or fifth place team in the division, but I do think the ceiling is there for this team to really make some noise. I hope so. I think it would be fun for Purdue to be a dark horse division title contender. I, I, if that's what the Big Ten West has in store for us, is Purdue shaking things up and making a Minnesota-ish run like from last year, then sign me up because that's gonna that that will have meant we have had a fun year in the Big Ten West. And I, the Big Ten West might be my my like number one seed conference. This, I was this I was year. just anyway. sensing yes. that. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, we are more excited and smitten and just goo goo eyed for the programs and the teams <laughs> and the coaching staffs and the developments in the Big Ten West than anywhere else because we're five teams into this, and we're kind of like, ooh, yeah. I mean, like, Iowa's going to get somebody. Uh, you never know. Purdue could get somebody. Illinois could have another big win like that. And that we haven't even gotten to the old artist formerly known as the University of Residual Income, <laughs> Scott Frost and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, everyone's darling one year ago, uh, picked 
by the media to win the Big Ten West. They finished the season five and seven, three and six overall. They, uh, I, I mean, I think we're still talking about a team, despite the disappointment of last year, they're probably going to catch some top 25 votes, some some preseason top 25 votes. They're probably going to uh, be picked uh, somewhere in the top three or so in the Big Ten West again. And, you know, I'm, a, a couple storylines that you know, will unfold just to kick things off. We, we mentioned it at the time, but Scott Frost needs to make a change at offensive coordinator. Troy Walter's out. I'm going to go get uh, the guy who did my home loan to be able to come out here. He's really good with APRs and mortgage rates, and so he's obviously good with understanding uh, offensive schemes. Matt Lubick in as the new offensive coordinator. At quarterback, we've got Adrian Martinez as the known commodity, but you know, is, is Luke McCaffrey going to be getting in the mix? Uh you know where you know what what happens with Noah Vidral? Like there's there's some he transferred. Real, he transferred. Okay. Yeah, I think. I think it, 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 yeah, it, he's it, transferring. He announced it yeah. last week. All right. So what what happens with this new uh, spreadsheet offense? What happens with this Nebraska team? Can they shore things up on defense? Will the will the Cornhuskers, who I believe are nine and fifteen under Scott Frost so far? Is this the year that they put it all together? I don't think that we can put Nebraska on back watch. You know, they're not back yet, but can they get halfway back to being back? It's going to be two seasons in Lincoln. That's my feeling. From here. So they're a season away from being a season away. No, I mean, 2020 is going to feel like two seasons. Ooh, because of the schedule? Yeah, because like it starts, like realistically, it's if you look at the first half of this schedule... It's Purdue, Central Michigan, South Dakota State, Cincinnati, at Northwestern, Illinois, at Rutgers. It's 7-0, probably not going to happen. But like 6-1 could very easily be a a reasonable outcome of those seven games with like maybe the Northwestern road game being a loss or even that Cincinnati home game being a loss. But they finish with their final five games without a buy in them at Ohio State, versus Penn State at Iowa at Wisconsin versus Minnesota. <laughs> so I have a feeling like Nebraska is a team that could finish six and six, but they are going to be so like it's going to feel like a two and ten the season the way it's going to finish. Yeah, the um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Nebraska. I don't know. <laughs> they 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 so here's the bright the bright side is they've got they're getting closer to having the players they need like Wandale Robinson was that guy that they need and he showed it last year he'll have he'll be in year two JD Spielman is a good player Omar Manning is the best wide receiver from the Juco ranks um and they got a few other guys like Alante Brown coming in and a few other true freshmen that can contribute so the the roster's getting closer. They they weren't deep. Like the spring, they were going to have like three scholarship receivers on campus. But they're getting a big infusion of, of additional guys, three healthy scholarship receivers. They're getting a big infusion of, of talent at this position um, that were coming in in this 2020 class. I, I, it feels like to me in a lot of ways the 2020 recruiting class is the one that could, could give them a, a spark. But do we feel that spark this year? I feel like it's just going to be what, – what were they last year? Five and seven? Yeah. Yeah. 
four and eight, five and seven. I, I to me, it. I just feel like the, you know, maybe the addition of the XL offense is gonna boost them to like six and six, seven and five. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think they keep on heading in the right direction. Yeah, but, I mean, we had it last year trying to act like they were going to go from four and eight to eight and four, nine and three, and that was because that was what we were we were working off of the the, the frost. Theory, yeah, the frost philosophy, the theory that that was a proven theorem that Scott Frost in year two goes undefeated. That's the only <laughs> thing we do. <laughs> it was science <laughs> at that point, and so now we've learned that you know. The UCF way is not the Nebraska way. I will say that with all the experience they have coming back on that offense, now this is a team, they only averaged 28 points per game last year. I think if I'm a Nebraska fan, if this team only goes six and six or seven and five, I mean, it's not what I want, but I wouldn't be worried about Frost based off of the record. If this offense in this year, with all this returning experience, with, you know, what is this, the third year? Yeah. If it doesn't take a significant step forward, even if the defense is horrible and gives up 35 points a game, if my offense isn't scoring, you know, in the 30s every single week, then the doubts start creeping in. Yeah, I it was wasn't it like week 4 or week 5 last year? The game was in primetime. The game was in Lincoln. Ohio State was coming to town, and this was going to be the moment, and Ohio State ended that game in, like, 12 minutes. Oh, it was over before, like, the, the freaking opening whistle finished ringing in anybody's ears. They just mollywopped him. Right I out mean, <laughs> Adrian Martinez looked so lost against that Ohio State defense that was full of future pros and first-round NFL draft picks, and I think Justin Fields just knifed his way up and down that uh, up and down on that Nebraska defense yeah, that I the when you read that Ohio State was at the beginning of that tough stretch for the final five games, I was very worried that they would do some more soul snatching stuff in that game, quite like they did a year ago. Yeah, it was thirty eight nothing at halftime, and then it was forty eight nothing at late in the third quarter before Nebraska finally got on the board, and then Ohio State pretty much just bled clock for the final twenty minutes. I listened to. Uh, I listened to that game live in traffic and the I forgot who was on the ESPN radio call, but they were just astonished at the lack of competitiveness. Uh, all Wasn't right. a good look. Not a good look. All right. Wrapping up the Big Ten West, the Northwestern Wildcats, three and nine last year, one and eight in Big Ten play. They were one of the worst offensive teams in all of football. Not the Big Ten, not Power Five, in all of football. World history. There's got to be some kind of bounce back here for Pat Fitzgerald and this Wildcats team. Uh, They've got questions that they need to answer pretty much everywhere. The though we have talked about the Big Ten West as having a lot of teams that feel like they could sneak up and get you, even though Northwestern is just two years removed from a Big Ten West title, it is unfortunately uh, the one team that I kind of feel comfortable putting in position in my order for the projected order of finish, what are our reasons to believe that Northwestern, I believe Northwestern can improve in their win total. Sure. I mean, I think they can win four games, five games, but I don't think that Northwestern will be getting out of sixth or seventh place. 
here's my cup of coffee, here's my poster board, change my mind. I think they can get out of seventh place for sure. Sixth? Maybe. Because I, I, here's the thing. When you look at Northwestern last year, that defense was still really, really good. Like yep. I think in SP plus, it was like this, maybe it was like a top 20 defense in SP plus last year overall. And I think if we look at the preseason SP plus rankings, it ranks 17th. The offense ranks 110th. And I just think that if the offense makes any kind of step forward and they've changed things over at offensive coordinator, if they could find any consistency or at least not even consistency as much as competence out of the quarterback position, this is a defense that is going to keep them in games all season long. It's just, will they be able to score enough points to get more wins? And I think they will. I think that three and nine is not as accurate a reflection of what this Northwestern program is as those 10 win seasons. I think, I don't think either are the reality, but I think the 10 win seasons that they've had is closer to what this team is and should be, and will probably continue to be under Pat Fitzgerald. I feel like 2019 was just everything goes wrong. The house is on fire. You know, our pets heads are falling off, uh, you know, and everything just completely fell apart. 2020 simply can't be as bad as last year. I mean, do, do you guys remember how incredible it was that they only lost to Stanford by 10, that they only lost to Michigan State by 21, that they kept Wisconsin within nine, that Nebraska beat them by a field goal? Like, that offense was Oh, it was horrible. horrible. <laughs> it was like, it was, it was unbelievable. That that like it was it was such an unbelievable testament to that defense that they even had a prayer in any of those games, and part of the pro- like there are two problems. I mean, there's a lot of problems. Let's be honest. When there's a that bad of an offense, there's a lot of problems. But the, the the big problem was the quarterback. A huge problem was the quarterback, and there wasn't a quarterback that was even average. Another problem was the offensive coordinator. Mick McCall had done some good work through the years. Getting he sent a lot of quarterbacks to the NFL, but I, I think last year was proof that he was past his prime. And they've got a quarterback that's competent. They've got an offensive coordinator now that's competent, and they return. Going back to Bill Conley's returning production deal, I mean they're. What are they? Number three? one. Number, Number one. one. Yeah. And and I, I, I brought this up and we were talking the Dark Horse thing. Although um, there wasn't much production to return on. <laughs> Fair. It's Fair. a percentage here at a clip. But, but again, I think like what does like when, when, when Northwestern goes 10 and three because they go 10 and three. Like every couple of years, they go ten and three, or whatever it is. I don't have their. I don't have pull up Pat Fitzgerald's resume, but like that that that's not out of the ordinary for Pat Fitzgerald to to go get into double digits in the wins. And when they do that, what does it look like? It doesn't look a whole lot different than it looked last year. It's just the offense, like Tom said, is just competent, and and they just figure out these weird ways to win. And their def- they lean on their defense, and they they play it tight to the vest, and they just 
scramble out a win. Well, I, I go back to the idea that who's going to be equipped to handle this incredibly unusual circumstance that everyone's found themselves in. And as it relates specifically to the football community and the college football world, who is going to be equipped to, to put together a team, someone that's got an identity, someone that has experience and leadership and someone that has a strong culture. Now, Northwestern has those three things. The only sort of fly in the ointment there is it is they are installing a new offense and they have a new quarterback. And so, I don't know, if that throws off the equation that I'm drawing up, then so be it. But I think that there is a world in which Northwestern has another year where they just figure it out. And everyone's scratching their head at the end of the season. And, and every game, when you see Northwestern on the, 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 the lineup card and you're thinking about making your picks for the weekend and you're like, wait a minute, Northwestern's is given three points to them? And you're like, how is that even possible? And you're going to bet against them and then Northwest is going to figure out a way to win by five. And I'm just telling you, like, that is that, – that would not shock me. To both of your points about the program and about Pat Fitzgerald as a whole, this is at Northwestern again. Northwestern, he's 99 and 79. He's 57 and 59 in conference play. Nine or more wins in three out of the last four seasons. And eight or more wins, three, four, five, six times since 2006. Four top 25 finishes. Uh, this three and nine was the worst finish under Pat Fitzgerald. It is rock bottom. We witnessed rock bottom and it was only three and nine. So, uh, to, as to back it up while I started this very low on Northwestern, I will be prepared to eat my words, but, uh, it sure looks like regression to the mean means getting back to six and six for the most part. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you mentioned three and nine is the worst he's ever done. Three and nine used to be the hope at Northwestern. So. Yeah, nuts. Uh, all right, thank you, gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back later in the week for more spring gleaning. Uh, keep your eyes posted to the feed. We're also going to be coming with those. Hurry up, hot seat countdowns, top 25 teams in our CBSports.com rankings, breaking them down one team at a time. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.